Hey, this is Nate New Balance Witzel, and you're listening to Step Off Radio. Peace. Internets, we got a special guest here on the show today. We have a man here. He is a staple in the local San Diego hip hop scene. He is an artist. He is a promoter. He is a journalist, and he is also an educator. So, Internets, I want you to welcome Nate Newbounds with Cell. Thank you for coming on, on the show, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the intro. Yes, thank you. And uh, yeah, excited. So let's start at the beginning. Like, how were you first introduced to hip hop music, and what kind of music did you listen to growing up in your house? You know. Yeah. Um, early on, up until about nine years old, um, it was just like top forty music in the house. You right. know, that's what my parents kind of listened to. Grew up uh, singing, you know, Lionel Richie. My mom would play tapes when she'd drive me at my dad's house in Orange County. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I guess you could say there's a little bit of soul infused its way in there, but. Um, Particularly like B100. If you're from San Diego, you know what that is. If not, then, mm-hmm. or maybe I'm dating myself. But <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, top forty. And then when I was nine, and my wife get, makes fun of me for for telling this story all the time, but mm-hmm. I was running down the hall. Um, I grew up in Scripps, uh, Scripps Ranch, and uh, I was running down the hall. We had one of those like intercoms where you could talk to the kitchen, like from the downstairs hallway or whatever. But it also played the radio. Mm-hmm. And me, myself, and I came on by uh, De La Soul, and I just stopped, stared at the speaker for whatever, two minutes, 30 seconds, however long the song was, and then went back to playing, but that moment changed everything for me musically. Mirror, mirror on the wall, tell me, mirror, what is wrong? Can it be my daylight clothes, or is it just my daylight song? What I do ain't make-believe, people say I sit and try, but when it comes to being daylight, it's just me, myself, and I. Hip-hop was my genre at that moment. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I tried to do some, like, breakdancing or, you know, trying to be a b-boy watching Breaking and Breaking 2. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, and so that, you know, hip-hop was already kind of in the periphery, but, mm-hmm. like, that moment, that song... That was, like, your aha it. moment? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Very epiphanic. So from, like, from that point on, like, did you... It's a little bit different now, but, like, for people who didn't grow up back then, mm-hmm. it was a little hard being a hip-hop fan. You hit, you know, whether, you know, you were on the record store, you were, mm-hmm. like, you were subscribing the the magazines, whether it was Word Up or, mm-hmm. you know, or I don't think even XL was around back then. I think it was, like, probably The Source or something, yeah, yeah. you know. Like, what was... How'd you go about, you know, seeking out hip-hop? Because, like, was, was Yo! MTV Raps even on at that time? It this was, was, like, around 88, probably. Yeah, 89, yeah. Yeah, um... Yeah, uh, I couldn't watch MTV, so I would sneak and watch BET, mm-hmm. and my parents would come home like, did you watch MTV today? And I'd be like, no, I did not. You know, um, so I snuck some BET in there, and that helped, uh, 
you know, but that was more like, I remember CC Peniston, so it was more like R&B, um, you know, she comes to mind first um, through that channel. But I think my first big dose was I actually like did the Columbia House scam um, or the BMG music scam where you get, you know, one penny gets you five you mm-hmm. know, cassettes at the time. Look for special Columbia House offers this month in selected magazines, newspapers, and your mail. did that a few times and then I, I don't remember how I did it, but I like wrote a letter like I'm just a kid and I made a bad decision and I so I somehow just started acquiring um and I got like Tony 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 with that it feels good I don't remember, <laughs> remember that song but uh it's called The Revival is that album and I got like some man what else did I get a digital underground tape I got um but that was kind of my big in TLC. So there was this big blend of hip hop and, and R&B, mm-hmm. you know, and they weren't so, uh, I guess, separated at the time because they were kind of coming out of each other and woven together. And um, you see like people like Mary J. Blige, What's the 411 was one of the CDs I got. And that mm-hmm. Grand Pooba verse on uh, um, What's the 411? I got it going on. Yeah, I got it going on. You know, um, that, that, that song hooked me seventh grade. You know, I remember sitting in my room listening to that on repeat. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. Those are some of the ways I was accessing it. Okay. Yeah. So for everyone that starts to make music, there comes a time where you go from being a casual fan, listening to music, to yeah. wanting to partake in the culture and yeah. start making music. So you're one half of the rap duo, the Peacemakers. Um, how did you... Even before that, how did you initially start getting the MC? Like, what's what's this catalyst? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I remember listening to the Top Gun soundtrack and drawing airplanes. That was like, I know that sounds funny, but as far as like how it did, but for me, it was like this connection of like listening to music and creating something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that was, you know, we owned a motorcycle shop uh, on El Cajon Boulevard called San Diego Yamaha Suzuki. And we lived in those Talmadge apartments, kind of in that weird place on uh, Fairmont, where it's mm-hmm. just one group of apartments down there in the, in the bottom mm-hmm. um, before Montezuma. And I remember just that, that was when I started creating. And when I was nine, right around that time, I told my mom, like, I wanted to be a rapper. And that wasn't like a thing for, you know, suburban white kids. Um, <laughs> if it says pre-Eminem, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so my mom was like, that's cute, you know. Um, and so that, it never materialized, you know, at that time. But I remember, like, moved to Scripps right after that, and uh, I would make tapes, and, and oh, so stupid. Uh, me and my friend, I, I really made it all up, because my friends weren't really into hip-hop, but, like, me and my friend Ricky would make tapes as the, as the um, Airwalk Bad Dudes. Airwalk Bad Dudes. Ridiculous. But that was, you know, I started, so I started creating my own mixtapes, you know, the, the old, you know, listening to the radio and hit record and, mm-hmm. you know, rewind it when you didn't like a song or whatever. Um, and uh, around that time, I started getting into, like, I like the idea of poetry and stuff like that. But it wasn't until high school, about, I don't know, maybe, t- shoot, close to ten years later, um, nine years later or so, uh, that I really started writing poetry. And it was for my girlfriend at the time. I was uh, listening, not listening, but uh, reading that Saul Williams book, She. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really kind of, I started mimicking him when I would write poems to her after that. Uh, so around senior year of high school. 
And then my friend, uh, when I was 21, Joseph Kraft, who owns Atypical Waffle or Invisible God, if you've heard of these, uh, he used to go wheat pace with like Shepherd Ferry in the early days of Obey. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he took me to an open mic in La Jolla at a place called Galoka. It's not there anymore, um, but uh, in that like downtown Bird Rock strip. And uh, I went in there, I heard a poem, and I stayed up all night that night writing poetry. Like, and I was afraid to call myself a rapper at the time, so poetry was like safe. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, this is like 2001, so, uh, you know, like, it was becoming normal, I guess. So it wasn't, I was just afraid, I think, to tell people, like, I want to rap, you know? Right. Like, it just seemed, I don't know. It's like scary. safer to say, like, I'm just yeah. smoking oh, one yeah. or something. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. I don't even know. But that's that's where I was at. And so I did poetry for a while, and that's when I met Antonio. We did, uh, there's a thing called the Melting Pot, run by a guy named Bird in La Jolla, where he would bring a bunch of hip-hop artists through La Jolla. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and for a while, it was at Cafe Mojo, right there at Pearl and whatever, La Jolla Boulevard or something like that. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I did a poem, and then this other dude, Antonio, did a poem, and he was like, dude, I liked your stuff. I'm like, I liked your stuff, too. And then we, we just, but I really want to rap. Oh, me, too. And so that's kind of the birth of the Peacemakers. Okay. And right around 2000, I want to say three, maybe four. All right. Yeah. I hope that's, that's a long-winded version, I guess. No, yeah. So from there on, you just started making music? like, yeah. um, And was that... Was there any difficulty making the transition from spoken word to to emceeing, or was it very natural? Yes. Um, so both. But I think the, the natural part was the expression, you know, of really, like, turning feelings into something material. Mm-hmm. Um, but the tough part was, yeah, wrapping on beat well. Yeah. You know, because spoken word, you can kind of da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, changing cadences, and, and I guess the BPMs... Uh, you know, to use like producer language, right? Yeah. So having to like be very more, uh, much more like on time and rhythmic and, and like creative within confines, um, that was a transition, of course. Yeah. Um, and then learning how to count bars, like, you know, 16 bar verse is kind of the standard. And so like keeping it within that was tough as a spoken word artist because you just get to be as, as long as you, as you want. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, and on top of making music, you're a journalist as well. Back in um, 2015, you founded your own website, SDLovesHipHop.com, which covers everything uh, hip-hop related that goes on here in San Diego. Um, What was your catalyst for starting the site that caters to um, a hip-hop scene here in SD? Yeah. So I started in in, in 2010. I started uh, um, a site called um, Soul Anchor Collective. Um, and that was like SD Loves Hip Hop, but it was broader. It was any hip hop. And mm-hmm. it was just a platform for me to write on and then put out music through Soul Anchor Music. That was kind of the big picture for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I started writing then because I was dissatisfied with teaching. Um, I just didn't want to do it. And so I went to an interview at the San Diego Union Tribune. But it turned out to be for a sales position. Yeah. And I thought that was super whack. And the guy was like, this isn't for you. You're not a salesman. And I'm like, I know. And so he's like, let me walk you through the newsroom on your way out and see the printing press. You know. And so I walked through it. I, and I, I, I just remember I walked out of that building. And when the wind hit my face, like I started crying. Like, I need to write. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so um, I looked up like shows in San Diego. Okay, when can I go to a hip-hop show and write about it? Um, and it turned out that Ahmad, I'd been listening to his The Death of Me album. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but it's that dude, you know, back in the day mm-hmm. when I was young, I'm not, you know. Um, he released an album on his own imprint called We... I can't remember the name of it. Um, but uh, 
the death of me was the name of the album pitch to me and leave a mark like a switch to me you all talk i act on it like my doving rings where i ball look easy like the new king james i'm like a new cane a new pock a new doc don't run up on me though and get slang cause you not thought he was better than a mod i said homie flow died for a lie like juliet and romeo i murder rappers over tracks soon as my stated make a capital for that and I'm concerned about the masses. If you don't know it more, you need to learn about the classics. Cause I've mastered this rap gymnastic chit chat. The last to spit wacky pastors. I loved it. And he was performing the full album at a lyrical schoolyard put on by a guy named Kid Riz up in North County. Okay. Um, and he does he, he owns uh, uh, schoolyard records now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went up to that show, wrote a review of it, and that was the catalyst. I, I He liked it. He said, keep coming to my shows. Write about them, please. Love it. Thank you. Um, and that's where I met kind of the people who got me first into the scene. Nice. Yeah. And so, like, what's the transition from from that to SD? Yeah. Yeah, so that that pulled me up to LA. I started teaching. Went up, to, you know, uh, up in LA again. Um, and there's some story gaps, I guess. But anyways, <laughs> I moved up to LA because I got pink slip teaching down here in San Diego okay. in 2010, maybe nine or ten. Um, there were 1,300 pink slips teachers got. Yeah, yeah I remember was being, one of the, yeah, bad. and they whittled it down to 800. Um, but I was still low on the totem pole. And so uh, we were pregnant with our first son, and I got pink slipped. And so I went back up and taught in L.A. But I kept writing under Soul Anchor Collective. um, And then I started, I was getting like 200 emails a week uh, of just different stuff to write about. And it was getting overwhelming. And then a magazine um, called uh, True Hip Hop Magazine had me start writing for them up in L.A. Started getting paid to write. It was amazing. Got to interview Pharaoh Monch, Capadonna, um, just a bunch of kind of people I looked up to and loved. Yeah. Um, and that opened up. I sat on YG's couch, uh, in nice. his futon in his room, and interviewed him. <laughs> Mustard said that was the best interview they'd ever done at the time. And uh, it turned out my students slept on that couch. They happen to be from the same place, mm. um, their affiliations. And so he's like one of his, I want to say security guards or something now. Okay. And uh, a kid named Buddha. And so I asked him, I said, you know, I know where you're from. This is, uh, I used to teach in Compton. Do you know Buddha? And he's like, Buddha sleeps on that freaking futon. Um, <laughs> so that's like both worlds kind of coming together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I just kept seeing signs that I needed to keep at it. Um, but we got pregnant with our next, our, our second son, mm-hmm. and um, I was like, we need to be by family and like stop letting jobs take us places. Yeah. So we moved back down to San Diego. I was overwhelmed by all the emails, and I said, let me just focus on SD. Mm-hmm. And so the the same the same uh, fall that I started teaching again, I also started SD Loves Hip Hop just to kind of keep my chops. Okay. Yeah. 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 On, on top of all that you're doing with the website teaching, family stuff, uh, you also host an event called Hip Hop Wednesdays at the AC Lounge uh, that show showcases local hip-hop talent you know here in the area uh on top of all the stuff you already do when did you begin holding this event and what was the catalyst that prompted you to begin like holding these weekly events yeah well thankfully i don't actually hold it um a friend kali um, from gardena who's been down in san diego for i want to say almost two decades now mm-hmm. um but he is just an amazing hip-hop artist but he's the promoter behind hip-hop weds mm-hmm. um and he he kind of called me into his sub scene of the scene um he and i built a great relationship friendship and then he pulled me in and, and had me start to like interview people like um frank knit when he came and did a show and like reverie and you know a bunch of people who were doing the hip-hop wedge show um at hip-hop house which is the third Wednesday of the month 
Um, and we built that relationship. And so then he asked me to host um, for the second Wednesday. It's called Elbow Room. Mm-hmm. And I'm taking the summer off, so I'm not doing it this summer. But um, we'll see what the fall brings. Okay. Um, but, yeah, he just asked if I would do it. And I said yes um, as that friendship built. And, yeah, I feel honored to be able to just be a part of what's going on there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, man, you are you wear many different hats. <laughs> too, many, <laughs> yeah. too many hats. Many, many. And um, so on top of this, um, you're, you're, uh, you're a high school English teacher yeah. here in San Diego. Yeah. Um, I guess to go back, how did you get into teaching? And, you know, was that the field that um, you've always aspired to work in? Or did you kind of, you know, how did you find your way into getting into the teaching field? Yeah, so that's a beautiful thing, right, about this hip-hop stuff. And hopefully I'm making the story clear enough to listeners. Um, and if not, I apologize. But, okay, so as far as teaching goes, when I in 2001-ish, which is when I got introduced to poetry, I thought about maybe becoming a math teacher. Uh-huh. Turns out I'm not that good at math, so that, that kind of fell by the wayside. And I let teaching go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't. I actually didn't know what I wanted to do. I was very like ambiguous. I, I was racing mountain bikes at the time and um, loved creative stuff and athletic stuff. And I thought I was going to be a football player up to that point. Um, but I broke my ankle my senior year, and so like oh. that, you know. So it's just this big kind of cluster half of confusion. And um, but in 2007, I graduated from college finally. Um, took me about nine years in and out, took, you know, leave of absence for a year, for a semester, you know. Um, but once I finally finished, I bought an MPC and started recording like at my house in a little home studio. And my brother-in-law, Antonio, he's my brother-in-law now. We were friends in poetry back then, you know, mm-hmm. earlier, you know, I told you how we met and made the Peacemakers. Mm-hmm. Um, he was recording uh, at my house. We were doing, recording a song together. Yep. And he said, hey, I'm going to go interview for these jobs at a college prep school in Long Beach. And we both have English degrees, so if you want to jump in, I know they need more teachers. And I was, like, feeling the pressure of, like, parents to, like, use my degree. Right. Um, you know, and uh, maybe the world. I don't know. But I, for whatever reason, I said, okay, let's just, I mean, why not? Let's go for it. Yeah. Right. A month later, with no experience, I, I wasn't an English teacher with an emphasis on teaching, or an English uh, major with an emphasis on teaching. I was just an English major. Um, but a month later, I had my own classroom in Compton, California, at a continuation school, not a college prep school. And, um, you know, kids who had been kind of maybe recently let out of um, camp Mm -hmm. or girls who had just had a baby, you know, and so the traditional model didn't work for them. Um, And so I went to this school um, called, it's it's now defunct, uh, Soledad Enrichment Action Charter Schools. Okay. Um, And, uh, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, just a month after saying maybe I'll try it, I have my own classroom. And then you're like teaching. Yeah. 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 Just like trial by fire, right? 100%. 100%. Now, have you utilized music, particularly hip-hop music and culture, in your classroom to educate your students? Yeah. Do you, like, regularly Um, use it? Yeah, well, early on, I used it, uh, like, at lunch. I had Freestyle Fridays uh, at lunch, and it was just a way for me to, like, especially, like, the toughest kid in class, you know, because I had some kids who were really, like, about that life. And so, like, you know, if I could battle them and win at lunch... You know, in good, fun competition, I could earn their respect, and then you know, others followed suit. Right. Um, yeah. It's just how it, you know. It's just how it worked, and so like I built a lot of really good relationships with some of my kids who rapped and and kind of like galvanized my place in the community at the school mm-hmm. um, before I even pulled in hip hop in the curriculum. Okay. Um, once I found my place, because it took about a year for me to feel 
at home in my classroom. Like yeah. when I was walking up the first day, the kids were like, I give him two weeks. Nah, dude, I give him one week. Nah, <laughs> I bet you tomorrow he's gone. You know, and I sat at the, at this little lunch table in my classroom and like cried for the first two weeks. Like, not super punk maybe, but like it was hard. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and so hip hop became this bridge relationally first. Um, and then I started using songs like um, Aesop Rock's uh, No Regrets. Mm-hmm. About the girl who we chalked on the on the sidewalk, yeah, right, and her the kids in the neighborhood thought she was weird, and we would use that as like character development, or mm-hmm. also like we would talk about just like rhyme schemes and and you know just so I would bring in kind of these songs that had these deeper philosophical or like life meanings, mm-hmm. um, but then teach some other basic skills too as we talked about the deeper things in life. So right. yeah, it was yeah. a really cool piece, uh, and I still use that song in my first quarter every year now. Well, yeah, and that kind of, you know, exactly what you said kind of, like, uh, answers my, what was my next question, which is, like, do you usually let your students know that you MC and do kind of this uh, the stuff that you do, like, um, or do you keep it on the DL? But it seems like you, you share it with your students. So do they, how do they react? Are they normally, like, just, like, stoked that, like, yeah, they have a teacher that, like, will rhyme with them and teach them about, like, and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Or? Well, now I don't tell them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that then I needed to. Now mm-hmm. I don't because the other kids will tell them. Right. Oh, yeah, I think that's the teacher of the raps. Or, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, like, yeah, yeah. and that almost, honestly, that, that like mystique keeps them kind of like intrigued. Yeah. And so when they first have my class, they're a little bit more subdued, which is good because it, it just creates this channel for them to funnel their energy. Yeah. Um, but like at lunchtime still, I'm able to like rap with them. And so I am open with it. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of times like, what? No. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, then, and then in the middle of the class, like, Mr. Woods, I heard you rap. Can you rap for us? I'm like, I don't get paid to rap. So <laughs> I'll rap. But you're going to have to come at lunch or after school. Right. Um, and some do and some don't. Um, but I'm blessed also to I work with the David's Harp Foundation uh, downtown, and they, they kind of give, you know, at-risk youth um, a, a channel to, to explore music as a way of uh, making sense of their story. Mm-hmm. And so they, they teach kids and, and give them internships at Sony and things like that. they got kids doing podcasts. But I have a music club that we do at our school that I get to take the kids down there. Mm-hmm. And that awesome. lets the kids who really are like, oh, it's cool that you rap and I want to rap too. Mm-hmm. And we build that relationship on Friday afternoons. And so yeah. that's really cool. Um, and, and I didn't know that that was a part of the job when I got it, but I'm super thankful that it is. Yeah, that sounds yeah. awesome. Um, yeah, so it all kind of just plays full circle. And, you know... Um, yeah, it's just fun, and uh, I try not to emphasize it too much, though, because hip hop is one thing. But like, I try to keep hip hop in the context of it's just literature. Yeah, it's just poetry. It's just you know we emphasize these dead white guys because yeah. we're in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody said, "Well, these are the important ones," and I'm like, "This is just part of the canon." Yeah. Um, there's also amazing Latino and Black authors making music right making mm-hmm. like writing novels right now yeah and so i try to make sure that it's just a bridge to that and not the emphasis in my class mm-hmm. you know? yeah because um, it's not everything it, it's my everything maybe but it's not everything in the grand scheme yeah so. yeah right. sure yeah so like um as you mentioned about you know getting pink slip you know early on in your mm-hmm. teaching career teaching is an occupation that it's it's seemingly becoming increasingly more difficult to hold and Kind of make a still make a decent living, or or have a um, a consistent, you know, be in a comfortable position without the worry of losing your job. Yeah, and um, and then of course there's other things: starting to inflated classroom sizes, 
um, budget cuts and even like you know dismantling of like teachers unions you mm-hmm. know and which ways are there any ways that you struggle or obstacles that you face as an educator because of these or even other factors you know yeah well that one you know when I got pink slips and I've and I've gotten pink slips more than that but that one stuck um, I always I always just tell people with teaching. As long as you are a good human and you build good relationships and you're in it for the right reasons, then mm-hmm. the security's there. Because I could have stayed when I got pink slipped. They called me two months later and asked if I would teach at Wagenheim, which is in Mira Mesa. Um, and so it would have been there for me. Yeah. yeah, is it inconvenient that I have to move classrooms? He totally is. Um, it's more stable, I think, than what some people's perception of it is. But that's not necessarily a good thing. You know, even in the stability, it's unstable in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm, right. um, like I, I taught for two years at Knox, which is a feeder school for Lincoln um, and uh, middle school. And, um, you know, they're, they're getting 13 new teachers this year. The schools that need teachers consistently and need that, like, strong base so mm-hmm. the kids know that they can trust that, like, oh, next year I get that teacher and I made a good connection with them this year. And, right. You know, that, that's – so it's unstable not so much for the adults – because those people will go get jobs, and a lot of them opted to leave. Yeah, right. um, But the kids are the one who the instability really hurts, you know, because um, it's a great job. I get great health benefits. Yeah, it's hard. I'm the only one in my family working. My wife was able to stay at home with her kids, and we have great health benefits. And so they're taken care of, and it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. But I'm living on, you know, 60, close to $70,000 yeah. in San Diego for a family of four. And after mm-hmm. after working in the same field for a while. and like, years now. Yeah, and having a college education. Yeah. And, you know, like a police officer fresh from the academy makes that, like, starting off, uh, basically. Yeah. Uh, and it's, yeah, I, I mean, my mom and sister are both teachers. I worked as an IA for a few years yeah. at a charter school in the Vista. Uh-huh. And the expectation for, like... <clears throat> At a certain point, like almost like a, a martyrdom, right? Of like you just like you, if you're in it for the, if you're in it, like if you got into this because you love kids, then you're just gonna take the like the the paltry pay increases or the you know which you know like I said relative to a lot of things it's it's good yeah. right but it's like uh, definitely under where like you know education should be valued at. Uh, or like people like my mom, she had to clean out her classroom this year. There's no yeah. facility staff to help. She's an older lady. Yeah. Um, uh, the resources are just like seemingly always being cut from from certain programs and not there for to help support staff. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, but yeah, it's interesting, uh, interesting stuff. I mean, we saw what happened in LA and mm-hmm. all these other huge mm-hmm. cities with the teachers uh, strikes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's you know kind of brings us to the next thing, right? Like. Uh, which is that we're living in trying and complicating, complicated times, you know? As a high school teacher, you, you know, your students are, like, right there on the cusp of, like, getting out into, like, you know, most of them have probably just experienced the world already, you know? Yeah. The things that are going on, they're hearing in the media. Some of them are probably being directly affected by some of that, uh, and especially their families as well. As a teacher, how do you straddle the line talking about these issues and, you know, just basically the subject matter in the classroom without, like, watering watering it down or downplaying the severity of it, you know? Yeah. Like, how do you address some of the stuff, like, what we call precipitating factors with kids, right? Yeah. Well, I'm really fortunate um, in, in a lot of ways. I, I have small classes, so that lets me speak a little more directly because, yeah. it, it, it's, you know, we, we have a 25-student cap. Nice. Um, so it's nice and small. Um, my students, I, I'm at Garfield High School downtown, which is, you know, it's the only continuation school left in San Diego's Unified School District, I believe. Um, and so it's kids who didn't function well in the bigger settings at, you know, comprehensive high schools is what they're called. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and we are, I would say, 80% Latino. Mm -hmm. And so our kiddos are super affected. I'll have them writing poetry and they're sharing about being face down on the ground in the kitchen, watching their dad walk away in handcuffs, mm -hmm. you know, being deported. Yeah. So this stuff, it's not like on the, it's not just like in their peripheral vision. This is like for the center. Yeah, this and is before. they're still showing up at school the next day. Right. Like this is some real stuff. You know what I mean? So like yeah. my students definitely feel that. And I don't, I don't try to straddle any lines. I share, hey, okay. this is where, where I stand with it. Where do you stand with it? Right. Are we able to see eye to eye? Do we disagree? Do we? Because I don't want them to go into a world thinking they can't just straight up say, this is what I believe. Right. And I can respect you even if I disagree with you. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I try. I, I, and I let the literature speak. You know, we read uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X. Mm -hmm. And so that allows us to talk about a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, yes. It gets into just about everything. Oh, yeah. Um, and so it, the literature tells the story if you pick the right books. Right. Um, and so I think that with the literature being our, our jumping off point, I don't need to straddle lines. I don't need to – and I don't need to control the conversation because something will prick something in a kid and they'll be like, oh, dang. That was happening back then, but what about – look at this now. This just happened to me, right. and we're having the conversation right there in very real time. Yeah. So, um, and yeah. And that's good. There's a lot of pressure, I feel like, especially in, like, teaching environments to be, like, apolitical. But yeah. the very act in itself, like, your, the budget down to, like, what you get paid, mm -hmm. all down to, like, what's happening to your students is all defined by politics. 100%. So, like – it's refreshing to hear, you know, like that, like, you know, like you're like, oh, I don't straddle any lines. That's Absolutely. awesome because that's what exactly what, you know, especially high school age students and people who are, you know, uh, you know, about to leave their like, I guess, like public education uh, need to hear. Right. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that's awesome. And I and I and I got the job offered to me uh, parallel at the same time uh, at Script Ranch High School mm -hmm. and at Garfield. Um, and I I had to choose. um which I guess you could say battle I was going to fight. Am I going to fight for youth or against parents? Mm -hmm. Because if I were reading the autobiography of Malcolm X in Scripps Ranch, I'd be having a different conversation. Yeah. Someone's libertarian, yeah. you know, parents would be like really, really upset by that or yeah. something. Or, and you know, it's for the most part, very, very conservative. Even, yeah. You know? yeah. So I would be fight, you know, whoa, why are you showing this to my, you know, um, yeah. whereas, I, it's now a, a thing that's empowering kids to share their experience as opposed to an argument I have to have to justify why this belongs in the canon. Right. Yeah. You know, um, so, you know, um, yeah, the conversation's different everywhere. I have friends who teach at Scripps, and I love, I went to Scripps. Like, I, I, I love my teachers. I, mm -hmm. um, but their politics defines it all. Yeah, and, right. Um, yeah, so I'm sure they have to dance a little bit more than I do. Right. You know? And for different reasons, they might agree with the conservative side, and you know what I mean. <laughs> right. Like uh, it's you know uh, having dynamic. those conversations yeah. is really yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah, and you know like uh, and but necessary. Yeah, yeah, well, especially when people's kids are involved, right? Totally. Like people feel a certain kind of justification and like a attacking positions, not from a, like a, the validity of those ideas, but being like, you shouldn't be talking to my my kid. My child. I yeah. this is my possession, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah. And you shouldn't be telling them ideas that I don't support. Yeah, and, and it's a, yeah, it's a trip. Yep. There's, there's a, another question talking about your students is we live in a world where um, everything is so much more connected now mm -hmm. than it was before. Like everything with phones and everything, yeah. it's right there in your face. Uh, when I was in public school, I think I remember two times our teachers actually talked to us about stuff that was going on. And one was when the Columbine uh, shooting happened. 
another one were the September 11th attacks. Yeah. Do you, I've been out of public school for like 10 plus years now. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you, are there ever moments where you teachers take your students aside and talk about this stuff mm-hmm. or like, or, and how do you handle that too? Like, yeah. how do you, how do you go about that? Especially when you, like Jose was saying, you have these kids that are, they're right on the cusp of adulthood. So mm-hmm. like they're, if they're not living it, they're certainly seeing it, yeah. you know, especially these days. Yeah. How do you handle those, those delicate situations, yeah. so to say? I usually ask how people are feeling, how my students are feeling about it. Mm-hmm. And if they want to talk, we'll talk. Yeah. Because I am pretty apolitical as a human. Yeah. Um, just because, I'll just give you my philosophy. I believe that when the, the nation was created, and even before that, uh, the, the seed that was planted in the ground was racist. And so no matter which branch you're a part of, mm-hmm. there's going to be racism in the fruit. Yeah. You cannot be... Uh, not an apple tree if an apple seed was planted. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? And so I tried to focus on the humans uh, in front of me mm-hmm. and, and stay out of that, where I do know teachers on both sides who push into the issues, into the classroom. Yeah. And I don't agree with that. I want to know if my kids are okay. And so I ask, how did this affect you? Would you like to talk? And if they would, then we have a conversation. We'll journal where they don't have to show me or anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They can rip it up and throw it away if they just need to process. Yeah. So I, the conversation is always open. Um, but I'm never going to push either side, no matter who I disagree with. You know, like, I may have strong feelings of disagreement, but I, it's just not the platform for me to, to push it. It mm-hmm. is the platform for me to ask, though, and draw mm-hmm. out. Yeah. Because they are, they, the answers are in them. Mm-hmm. Even in English, like, I might give them a tool to, to bring it out of them. But really, my job is to draw out the human and not to, to fill up the brain. Yeah. It's actually to pull out what's already there. Yeah, know, absolutely. In an articulate way or something. Internets, don't touch that dial. Step off radio. We'll be right back. But first, a couple messages from friends of the show. Yo, what's happening, Step Off Magazine listeners? Quick break from the amazing content you've been listening to. One more here from the IE Podcast. You may be asking yourself, what is the IE Podcast? The Aid is a local radio show where we interview up-and-coming artists, creatives, and anyone who would like to share their backstory about why they do the things that they do. We dive deep into the life of the artist, bringing in-depth interviews, sharing stories in a raw and unfiltered format. A true podcast focusing on the artist for the artist. You can listen at iepodcast.com and on all streaming platforms. On the iTunes app, search IA Podcast. On the YouTube app, type in IA Podcast. That is I-A-T-E Podcast. And we hope you enjoy. All right, back to Step Off Magazine. Peace. Another thing is is that um, people often talk about um, teachers having an immense impact on them, mm-hmm. but uh, but rarely is the same asked to teachers about the impact that their students have made on them. Likewise, you know, what impact have your students made on you over the years while working as a high school teacher, man? Yeah, everything. I mean, I, I am who I am today because of it. You know, I grew up in Scripps primarily, moved to Colorado from 93 to 96, um, so came from a really middle-class white 
background, mm -hmm. um, you know, or my parents' understanding of hip-hop and kind of black culture was what the media told them, um, any culture outside of white culture, really, but, um, and so, like, for them, you know, remember when uh, Two Life Crew and, and the, the, they had the steamrollers running over the CDs on yeah. TV, right? So that... That Reagan mindset, that's where my parents come from. And so when I went into Compton, um, though I was more mindful maybe than my upbringing, um, I still had this white savior complex. Mm -hmm. You kids need to get your education and get out the hood. You know, I even mm -hmm. said it out loud sometimes, you know, and then I kicked myself for that. And by the time I left, the conversation looked very different. Yeah. So they... They just changed how I look at things and my understanding of right and wrong, you know, very much like anti-gang uh, going in there, you know, like that's whack. Like you're just killing each other, just da, 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 you know, whatever my perception at the time was, it's embarrassing, but you know, to really understand and to, and to drive my kids home and to have him ducking down while we drive home and to understand like his homies like keep him safe from this very thing. They were there's like a, a a war for the the territory like our school was on, and so mm -hmm. like to understand the dynamics and the the economics behind the struggle, and right. it just it altered how I view the world. Yeah, um, and how you know like my my teaching, it, you know, I, my understanding was how I was taught: sit down, shut up, do what I say. That's kind of how I was parented, too. Mm -hmm. So I went in the classroom like that. And now it's more like an open forum. Yeah. Yeah. What does respect look like? Right. Oh, you're talking during this movie, but you're actually more engaged when you're talking during the movie. So me telling you not to talk during this movie is actually disrupting your learning as a, you know, because, you know, must be quiet in here while we're watching a film. <laughs> on the, right. You know, actually, no, you saying that statement is you wrestling with the content in a way that's very social, yeah, which is right. actually everyone's learning is improving, yeah. right? And so how I even view education has been altered by it. So even what education is has been, you know, so my students have radically changed my life and, and who I am and just the fabric of my being. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't be teaching today. I gave up after seven years. We moved back to San Diego after, you know, with our, with our second child being uh, on the way. And I stopped. I got back in the bicycle industry. Um, was working at uh, Performance and Adams Avenue Bicycles. Um, I really wanted to stay away from teaching because when I left South Central, um, the Main Street Crips, I believe, uh, and the Hoovers were warring for this area that I was in called Death Alley and um, where our school was located. And 11 uh, friends and family members of my students had been shot and killed oh, wow. my last month being there and it's just I mean it's a very pr privileged position to be able to say I wanted to step back mm -hmm. because my kids couldn't step out of that situation mm -hmm. yeah but as I was moving and transitioning I just said I don't want to do this it's too much right um, so I got back into cycling and tried to really just stay in that pocket yeah and at the end of the summer of 2015 I want to say I'd been subbing you know because I could do that but um at the end of the summer of 2015, one of my students who I had taught at Farb Middle School in Tierra Santa was graduating high school and going to college the next day. And she sent me a Facebook message saying, Mr. Witzel, you changed my life. Like, I hated English till I had your class. I've, I've actually kept a copy of The Alchemist, which is a book I read with my eighth graders, yeah, yeah. in my backpack all four years of high school. I pretty much have it memorized. Um, I'm going to go become an English teacher because of you. 
Wow. Three hours later, San Diego Unified calls and says, hey, we noticed you've been subbing, but you also have a credential you want to teach. And so I was like, those two things at once, I can't not. And that's yeah. what got me back into teaching. And so she, this, this one student, Ashley's her name, uh, she got me back into teaching. Wow. So, I mean, my students have been teaching. <laughs> that's a pretty list to say, yeah. 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 <laughs> so, I mean, and I still stay in touch with that, you know, like, uh, you know, all my gradu graduates or graduates, uh, you know, they always hit me up on Instagram and Facebook now that we're so connected and like, oh, Mr. Woods, like, what you up to? Like, you know, like, and so, I mean, they just keep pushing me because I'm seeing one of them's just, she's going to go become a, um, I just found this out last night. She's going to go become a high school counselor. Yeah. And then I get to say, man, in eighth grade, your, your presence was so calming for your peers. Mm -hmm. You were such a safe place and they would come to you. It makes sense that you're going to go be that. And now so now that. I can now share the, that stuff with them and encourage them to go change the world, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, pretty impactful. It's, it's a pretty, it's pretty um, experience to see your students, you know, grow into themselves yeah. and then applying those gifts and those talents yeah. into the real world. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, and to see people's just like evolution, right? Like my mom yeah. has been teaching for 30 years and sees like, yeah, like people that now have their own kids that yeah. like they're in the same school and it's just like to see like that whole transition to have that impact. Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's a very uh, heartwarming thing I've uh, mm -hmm. to, to experience. Kind of expand upon that. What would you say you like the most about teaching? Honestly, just relationships, because it doesn't have to be teaching for me. I mean, my students are always telling me, I have this one kid, he just got to us, uh, he's affiliated, let's just say, and yeah, yeah. he's been in camp and stuff like that, and he, he's like, man, you need to go teach in juvenile hall. You'd be great for that. And then, he, you know, another student's like, Mr. Woodsell, you should be a, a, you know, a social worker, or you should be a counselor. And the reason being is because my emphasis is not English. My mm -hmm. emphasis is relationships. Because without that, like, they're not going to learn English from me. Yeah. And so for me, the most rewarding part or the best part is the fact that I get to build relationships with these little humans. Yeah. And I get to be impacted by them. And hopefully I impact them in some way, you know, in a, in a good way. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so that's to me, it's the relationships. Absolutely. And what would you say is like your least favorite aspect of teaching if they're, if they're really yeah. is, you know, the, are the hardest? You know, I know. The, 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 one of the most impactful pieces of teaching is feedback. Mm -hmm. And so I do give a lot of verbal feedback, you know. I suck at grading and lesson planning. Those are my weak points. Um, you know, luckily, like, I, I, I know how to work within that and then do well still. Um, but I hate lesson planning and I hate grading mm -hmm. because it's, it's, the, it's the parts that are removed from relationship. Yeah. I'm sitting at my house reading your essay and th there's a relational, relational piece because you're going to get it back and then we have a conversation. But yeah. that's my least favorite part because it's removed from people. Like, yeah. I have to do it alone. Mm -hmm. you know? um, and so I think that that's, yeah, that's the thing I dislike. Okay. Yeah. As we've kind of like been touching on uh, this whole entire like time, right? You're a very busy person. I mean, balancing a bunch of stuff. How do you juggle so many different things that go on in your life? You know, from teaching to writing, for, you know, writing, hosting shows, podcasts. Uh, you know, how do you like? How do you balance all of that and also have like a family and do that yeah. stuff? Yeah, I'm learning that this summer. You know, like I'm definitely burnt out. I, um, yeah, I feel that. Um, this summer, I took a step back from everything. The only thing that I'm focused on is my family um, and trying to not do things with my family where I'm like, oh, but we got to leave in an hour because this thing's coming. 
um, because my presence isn't as intentional. I think when because last summer that's how I spent the summer, mm-hmm. so I said I'm not doing that again. Um, and something I've learned about myself in the in the process of stepping back is I've I've often given my power, my voice, my will away to others, mm-hmm. and there's usually a certain personality type that I do that with. Um, probably, you know, daddy issues, you know. Um, uh, my stepdad was very authoritarian, and so, like, I find myself submitting to that personality type often. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I said, man, this hip-hop stuff, everything has become, and not everybody I, I, I mess with is like that, but this hip-hop stuff has become, it took over. Like, I created SD Loves Hip-Hop, and it became these other things, and I'm turning my wheels, I don't know where I'm going. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know. You know, my name is as a rapper is New Balance, and that comes from I thought I knew balance, but turns out I needed New Balance, and, mm-hmm. I, and I came up with that in '08, and I'm finding that I'm in the same place now. Right. Where I thought I knew balance, but now I need New Balance, and so like I don't know the answer. I'm trying to figure that out, um, and I'm and I know that I needed to keep a tighter rein on everything, mm-hmm. but until I know what I want, I can't do anything. Right. Because I don't know what I'm working towards. Right, and we're constantly evolving all the yeah. time. Like, this stage of your life is, I'm sure, different than, yeah. like, even, like, five, ten years ago, right? And so, yeah, I mean, well, you know, I think uh, that's a very real assessment of, like, how do you, how do people, most, I don't know. Yeah. That's, like, that's a totally appropriate <laughs> yeah. answer to have, right? Yeah. Okay, so... Getting back to the, like, you know, hip hop, like hip hop, you know, we, I've definitely heard people say, just because I'm an organizer and we, you know, hear this kind of talk, that hip hop is like the music of the revolution, that hip hop is like definitely an influential and significant musical genre uh, that has a lot of impact and influences a lot of people. Uh, tell us why do you think that is? Like, why do you think that hip hop has this power to like educate and basically fuel and inspire change into society, especially amongst youth? Yeah. I think because it came from youth. Definitely, yeah. Right? It wasn't uh, bridled by society. Mm-hmm. It came from revolutionary energy. Even partying in the park where you're tapping into, you know, for us it would be sdg I don't know what it's called in New York. But, mm-hmm. right, they literally took the little box, like the, into the, a light the cover post. off the light post, right, and tapped into that power. So even that is taking what the system has mm-hmm. and utilizing it for your own means. Yeah. And so it started in a very revolutionary way, I, be- I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, again, as seeds are planted, or uh, we could also talk about, right, different um, uh, uh, what water well springs of water, right? If it's a freshwater spring, it's mm-hmm. always going to produce fresh water. Same with saltwater springs, right? And so hip hop started with that revolutionary energy. Mm-hmm. And so it's always going to spring forth that. Even in the the people on the radio who people are like, oh, it's garbage or whatever. No, think about like this is potentially a, a, a young a young man who didn't have certain other outlets and they're able to express themselves and make money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's revolutionary in itself, especially when it's a, a person of color yeah, in a society that would otherwise want to hold them down. Now, there are nuances to that where right. the system still is trying to tap into that. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. But even in that simple thing, it's revolutionary. Yeah. Right. And so I, I just don't think you can get away with uh, from that. Um, you know, my favorite rapper for the past probably four or five years has been Boogie. And, you know, you look at this kid, you know, from Compton who 
is now making his full living this way and he has peace that he can take care of his mom and his son when he was a son he, he was having Cheerios for all meals, right? Mm-hmm. He, he talks about that in some of his songs. And um, he didn't actually have a home. They were evicted almost out of every one of their homes. Mm-hmm. And they'd sneak back in. He talks about that in a few songs. And, like, so to go from that situation where his mom was just doing her best to try to feed her son and keep him in school and, and keep a roof over their head to now he's able to use his creativity um, to, to provide that for his son, that's a mm-hmm. revolutionary act, yeah. right? So, I mean... I, just can't see it not that way right and it's telling yeah. stories in, 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 in a way that's accessible to like the majority of people in this yeah. country right people that are like facing the same economic conditions that are just like being you know forced onto all of us mm-hmm. and uh you know and for that reason is why it's like so revolutionary i think in yeah. a lot of ways too is that like when you're talking about like these shared experiences that a lot of people are like wait a minute i'm going through that too yes. and a lot of times uh, you know people have as a way of connecting that to like the social and economic roots of yes. that uh, it's a it's a it's a beautiful vehicle for like education, you yeah. know, uh, and educating you know millions of people at once. Yeah, because think about it. Like this, I lo- this this line always stands out to me. It's from a, the album called The Reach. I don't know which song, but he says, "How do I explain to my kid that I got shot over a color? He's just five years old. He still got crayons in the cupboard, yeah. and like his his colors to his son are color crayons, right? Like, and you're getting shot over that red one. Yeah." Mm-hmm. Like, how do you explain that to a five-year-old? Right. How do you explain horizontal violence or how do you explain, like, the, like, economic conditions of, like, whole communities that, like, have been designed to be poor, designed to be extracted? Yeah. yeah. Super profits, basically. How do you best extract, you know, revenue and profit off of off a group of people? Uh, it's, it's We were talking to someone um, uh, from, uh, the, like, about the city of Detroit yesterday mm-hmm. and talking about, like, how even just, like, the perception of media, right, like, and how, like, cities and whole communities are represented has not only just, like, a psychological a social impact on how they perceive themselves yes. but on how like property values how much you can like pay someone to work in a city like that like yeah. uh, all of it has just like these ripple effects and it's uh, interesting that hip hop can address like all of those things that are happening almost yeah. in real time yep. through a, an artistic medium yeah mm-hmm. that's Oh, and, and to consistently do so, you know, over yeah. such a long period right. of time as well. Yeah, fight the power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Like, that's the most direct, you know, right. um, historical piece that we have. And like, I mean, I mean, the call to action was very clear. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I guess to get kind of like into like your um, your personal thoughts and opinions on the genre, what are some local artists? Um, and people here in the scene that people should be aware of that you feel like they deserve some shine. Okay, so right now I'm wearing an Ethos uh, Fresh Yard uh, T-shirt. So um, I got to give it up to you know the the people who the writers in the city. Um, and Ethos just happens to be part of a crew called the Fresh State, who I'm also affiliated with. Um, and and so I definitely want to definitely like point to that mm-hmm. um, because I think graffiti is such an important piece of the culture. Um, and uh, so there's one type of artist, right? Um, but let's get back to the music, though, right? Is what is what I'm sure you meant. Um, there's so many. I'll, I'll just try to keep it like in relevance. Okay. Because I mean, we can go historically, and I'd say blame one. I know you're a big <laughs> fan, Rob. Um, you know, because I, I think that he is foundational same thing with like sojourn uh, north county san diego in general very uh important in the culture in san diego same with the southeast midgey slick like so, so you have those historical figures but right now as far as relevance goes i'm watching um 
man, I'm going to stick with my scene okay. um, mm-hmm. because I know like, like the real like street hip hop is very impactful. There's a lot going on. I love Teddy Benson and some other people who dwell in, in that you know realm. Mm-hmm. I give a lot of love and respect to that realm. My personal taste, though, you, like I told you, De La Soul pulled me in. And so my personal taste kind of fits more in that backpack boom bap if we had to give it a stupid title. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I have to say, like, I'm watching, like, 18 Scales yeah. as one of the probably most relevant and just on the top right now and, and about to kind of blow up, I think, in a bigger way. Yeah. Um, I'm watching uh, fairly new to the scene this uh, they're kind of a duo right now a guy named Nemi and another a guy named Indian Cool or Indian K uh, from the Sky High crew these guys uh, just released a project called The Undercard um, and I think they're going to make a huge impact on the scene with that um, funny story I was supposed to host when they released the album at Elbow Room and uh, just uh, for multiple reasons I, I couldn't make it mm-hmm. but um that was a, a big night for the city, I know. Um, so those two are, are having a lot of impact. There's a guy named Dev Love, who I believe is going to be like touring the world soon um, once he puts out a complete project. Yeah. Because he's probably the just most well-rounded, polished, just skilled. I mean, uh, anyways, look up Dev Love. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we got multiple uh, San Diego Music Award winning uh, Parker Edison, mm-hmm. who, who's with the Parker Meridian. Yeah. Um, and they just make really cool, different, but jazz-influenced hip-hop, like, real cool stuff. Yeah. Um, and then he also released a project not too long ago with a, a producer locally called Evolve, uh, Evolve One, um, and that was called Billboard Dreams, and I think that was pretty slept on, but really uh, another strong piece of art from uh, Parker Edison. Um, I mean, m- one of my favorites who just, he, he, he sits very much in kind of my boom-bap kind of pocket is Vex. Yeah. If you're familiar with Vex, I mean, just an amazing technician at what he does. And it's cool watching him evolve. He's, he's getting back into photography. He's skating a little bit again. Um, and just, I think, growing uh, internally as a human as he shrinks physically as a human, right? <laughs> he's getting just taking care of himself and, like, watching the evolution, like mm-hmm. you said, of a human. Yeah. Uh, to me, that's, again, it's all about relationship, and that's why I love hip-hop. Um what else locally? Um, I mean, those are, I'm, I'm just touching the surface. Mm-hmm. There's so much good stuff. Um, it's been fun to watch this kid named Poser and this other kid named Fade Green um, come on the scene and like do their thing. And they're both very talented. And I say in about five years, we're going to see them start to kind of like be in that realm of what I'm talking about with like 18 scales and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just developing as artists, but they're amazing yeah. um, at what they do. Um, I'm going to feel bad no matter what. So I'll just stop there. <laughs> there's so yeah, many right. I could talk yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and then we talk about producers. And it's just, it's, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of amazing stuff going on right now. Yeah. Uh, not to make you keep on going on a list or anything like that, but like on a broader level, like nationally, who would you say are like your favorite artists doing stuff? Yeah. Right now. So I'm going to come with my most out of pocket The people probably wouldn't expect from me. This kid named Rex Life Raj, uh, R-E-X-X, Life Raj, R-E-J. Mm-hmm. Um, he, there's something about the way I feel when I listen to his music. I like to run to his music or like lift to his music. Yeah. There's something that just lifts you up through it. And um, I feel like he's going to be the next guy to blow like on the bigger scene, you know, in mainstream hip hop. Um, man, there's this kid named Jay Lately. I love Jay Lately. He's from uh, the Bay Area. 
Um, and he's, which wrecks life garages as well. Um, Jay Lately is just, he's got this, uh, what is it? Be Fucking Happy album. I hope you cuss on your show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Leave me out. Um, no. But uh, that, that album good. is phenomenal and it's still getting spins. It's like a year too old. Um, I mean, my favorite rapper is Boogie. I mentioned that earlier. And so like this summer as I've been running and, and working out and like trying to just work on me, I, I've only been listening to his album, mm-hmm. um, Everything's for Sale. Yeah. He, he does the, the most amazing job of putting you in real life paradoxes and like letting you sit there and be okay with both. And this one song, I think it's called Whose Fault, he talks about his, his girl hits him up and like, you're, she's like, you're tripping, dude. Like, your son has a basketball game. You need to get him for practice. I need some me time, right? And he's like, and she's like, I need you to take him to his game, right? And he's like, nah, have your dude do it. And then later... Um, in the song, he talks about, wait, who's that dude in the background of your picture? I told you not to have anyone near my son. And so this idea that, like, not have your dude do it. No, what are you doing having dudes around? But that's so human, right? Right. It, it, it just puts you in this tension of, like, I feel like it's justified him saying that <laughs> and her saying that. Right. It kind of feels justified over here, too. Like, we're humans. We're dynamic. And he puts you right in the middle of that. Mm, right. Um, it kind of just, like, makes you, like, come to grips with that, like, cognitive dissonance that we all kind of have right? around certain things where yeah. it's like, yeah. but I'm different, though. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but exactly. until, until you kind of see it right up in your face and you're like, oh. Yeah, right? Yeah. And, and, and he has another lyric where he says, um, a dude banged on me trying to front. Um, my eyes start sweating, my mind starts racing, something like that. And he's like, I got to teach my kid, like, not to fight, but not to be no punk. Right. Like, yeah. he's like, he, he's walking with his son, like, hand in hand down the street. Someone bangs on him. Like, what do you do in that moment? Right. My son's safety yeah. is important. So if I just put my head down and keep moving, like, that may happen. I, I may get him through this. But I also don't want my son to think people can bully him. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, what a weird position to be. Not weird. De- heavy position yeah, to be right. in. And I've never experienced that. But I've experienced that. Like, I experienced with people having to confront people and things like that. Right. Right? And so I'm relating to his story. And, it, yeah, it's just so real. Right. And, and it yeah. addresses a lot of you themes mean, that, like, people don't really think about. Like, about, like, even just masculinity at large. Yeah, right? Which right. is, like... How do you how do you define yourself as a man, right? Like, and especially the relationship with like father and son. Yeah, to it's really interesting stuff. Yeah. So, anyways, that's boogie. Um, <laughs> and I, again, I could go on and on. I mean, Common's my favorite. Um, I haven't. I, I listen to Resurrection a lot. Yeah. Um, the whole album, you know, that's one. Of, that's probably one of my favorite albums of all time. So I, I'm always trying to tap in with Common and. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just so much goodness. I love Brother Ali. He did this song called Sensitive not too long ago. In the video, he's, like, in the studio. And just what he's talking about, he, one of his lines, he says, like, man, what, do they really care what an old, like, an aging hater thinks? You know, like an old curmudgeon, right? And he's just honest about where he's at and who yeah. he is, and he wanted to pull back and be out of it, but, you know, he knows his music's still relevant. And so there's just so much goodness out there, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, just gotten over the look. Yeah, and I even think you know a lot of people think, well, all all these lils and these da da da. If my kid who who's depressed all the time is finding a little bit of hope in little Zan's music, um, or little whoever's music, 
Like, yeah. who cares? Like, old men, shut up. Like, right. let the kids enjoy the music. Because mm-hmm. to me, it's like, to me, the new, this, the, that, that kind of like subgenre, the emo rappers, you know, whatever you want to call Mumble them now. rappers. Yeah, <laughs> what, whatever you want to call it. Like, right. it's Blink-182 and hip-hop. Right, yeah. And I love Blink-182. <laughs> right, yeah. So, like, I'm okay <laughs> with it, you know? Like, who cares? If, if again, relationship. If people are being empowered and, like, encouraged and they're, they're freaking not overdosing on pills because they're hearing about someone else's story who actually ended up doing it. And like, yeah. they're seeing the outplay from that and they're learning and growing because of the music is, right. who cares if you like it or not? Yeah. You know, like it's relevant. It matters. So right. and it's eliciting an emotional response, right? Yeah. It's getting, it's, it's a, and materially that's what matters, yeah. right? It's like, it's having an impact on all these children all these people. Yeah. Like that's all that matters. hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, who would you, if, I heard you you mentioned Common Resurrection. Like, uh, what are would be like a couple pivotal albums that like yeah. either your favorite or have had the most impact on you? Yeah, I try to stay away from favorite. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I boldly claim Boogie as my favorite, but um, outside of that, I try to stay away from favorite. But I know that like Resurrection moved me. Um, yeah. All of Common's uh, albums up until I would say uh, I don't know up until about. 2006 ish mm-hmm. like really really moved me I love his music now but like it just changed a little bit which yeah. is fine he, he his popularity grew and he, the sound changed whatever it's all good Electric Circus he tried something new too like all good um, but that whole catalog is really impactful particularly Resurrection um, other albums that I mean don't uh, uh, the Lucy Ford album from Atmosphere uh, hugely impactful uh, Sage Francis's personal journals Hugely impactful. Um, man, even Cannabis, his, uh, what album is that? I want to say Can I Bus. Uh, Might have been the album, but some of the songs on there, especially the one about his mom. Um, there's just so many. I, it's hard for me to, um, Black Star, I mean, that's just huge for me. Train of Thought by a Reflection Eternal, right? Mm-hmm. High Tech and Quali. Um the Beautiful Struggle by Quali, B by Common, and, you know, produced by Kanye. Mm-hmm. Man, um, Lauren Hills. Actually, if I could only own one album for the rest of my life, it'd be Lauren Hills' Unplugged album. Yeah. And I love her, you know, first album, but, um, and the Fuji stuff. But uh, there's something about what she's saying. Like, do you, have you listened to that album? Yeah. Yeah. That Unplugged album is, I mean, the. the Freaking A. Just the thing she's saying is so powerful. It's her and a guitar. Mm-hmm. But it, it's so impactful. So lyricism definitely wins out for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so like kind of those albums that shape my history, those are some of them at least. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. So you've taken time off from working on the website. Mm-hmm. Do you have any plans to share more music or anything else on the journalistic tip in the future you know or is that just kind of a take it one day at a time I'm glad you asked it is take it one day at a time but um, I have a medium account I have never used it Mm -hmm. but I feel like it's a safe way for me to start writing again actually it's on my calendar to start writing tonight um but it's a safe way for me to, to, to write and not commit to more than one article at a time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely will be posting 
some stuff. I'm gonna actually write a piece on paradoxes, uh, and, and, and particularly about Boogie's catalog. Um, and uh, that's that's first thing on the on the list. I don't know when it'll be done. No promises. Yeah. But uh, I committed to writing an hour a night uh, for the rest of the summer. No matter, it could be journaling, it could be about hip hop. But, mm-hmm. Um, so that's where I'm going to place that energy for now. Okay. And I don't want to promise anything outside of that. Like I, I have a really good relationship with platformcollection.com. Yeah. Um, like I said, I'm a part of the fresh state, which is that those are somewhat connected. Um, I, you know, I love Kali and hip hop weds and would love to come back and host, but I'm not making any promises to do anything with anyone. Right. Um, other than love and support my friends. Yeah. Um, and the music I love, uh, until September 1st because I need to process a lot. Yeah. 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 And the same goes, I would assume, for like the podcasts and stuff as well. Yeah, it's really hard. You know, like I love the podcast. SD Loves Hip Hop is dead. I killed it. It was the closing of a chapter. I don't know if you saw the video of me saying goodbye. Um, But as I was creating that video, like I actually teared up. Like I I felt it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then as I watched it, it's that whole life imitating art, art imitating life, right? As I watched it, I could feel like no... Because that was supposed to transition to something else. It was like closing up a chapter sad, and it was going to open up another door. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then while I watched it, I'm just like, I don't know if that door's supposed to open. I, mm. So I'm sitting in this very ambiguous space where I thought it was like, I know what's coming next. And yeah. now I have no idea what's coming next. Um, or if anything's coming next, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm working on some music right now for me, mm-hmm. but I'm not. It's not going to be like, oh, big rollout. I'm gonna, you know, it's right. it, just because that's a muscle I'm always going to work out. Yeah. Um, yeah, and my brother-in-law, Law, and I, the peacemakers, are working on uh, the Golden Era mixtape two at a very slow pace. We thought it'd be out by now, um, but if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I just, mm-hmm. I'm not going to try to control my life anymore. I'm no timetable. Yeah, right. just kind of go with the flow. Right. And I mean, and this is kind of touching on it a little bit, but I mean, for people that want to get involved in like doing kind of what you've done with, you know, getting like starting a, a website, doing podcasts, like putting on events, uh, what would you, what kind of advice would you have yeah. for them? Like someone that's just, just starting out right now. Yeah. My first thing is have them hit me up, uh, Nate Witzel, um, in Instagram, DM me. Um, none of my other Instagrams are active right now, uh, but have them DM me and I and I love to give them some things on like I know Pat Flynn from Smart Passive Income has a really good how to start a podcast mm-hmm. series for free. Um, so I try to give people resources always like that. But as far as like they want to get into it, they're listening to this. What do I do? Yeah. Um, the first thing is get your motives right. What do you want? Right. And for me, it's always been the relationship piece. But outside of that, I didn't have vision. So try to have some like vision, but then just do things. You know, like I had Sean Sotero on, on my show and I didn't, I haven't put it out yet because I was, I saw, I did a terrible job and he was very gracious and, and, and I'm thankful. Um, but Sean Sotero, if you don't know, is from The Cypher, uh, mm-hmm. The Cypher Show, which is one of the most powerful uh, podcasts in hip hop. If you, if you don't listen or if you haven't listened, you should. Um, and so, and, and I, that just happened for me reaching out to him. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. so I want to tell people like, there's no gatekeepers, no matter what city you're in. There's right. no one who holds the keys. Um, you re- you can go straight to artists now. You can go straight to others. Mm-hmm. Don't don't like follow someone else's. Do your thing, um, and don't try to get anything out of it. Artists and your listeners aren't there for you to get money out of them. Um, if you can monetize in a, in a like conscious way, then do it. Mm-hmm. But like, don't be in it for the money because it's not there unless you're thinking 10 years down the road. Right. If you really want this and you want to make a living at it, think 10 years down the road. 
Because in anything, to make a living, it takes 10 years. You're going to go to college, you, you want to be a doctor, it takes 10 years to, till you hit that you know, eighty dollars to $100,000 marker. Right. So no matter what, like it's going to take 10 years. Yeah. So if you want to do this and then you want to do this for a living, then think 10 years down the road. Don't think you're going to monetize quick. Don't think you're going to build your audience quick. Right. You know, I have a small, SD Loves Hip Hop is with 2,200 people following or something like that. It's a small audience. It took me four and a half years to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's doing nothing. Like, I'm not trying to be somebody. Like, I love people. I, I write about the music I love, and it happened. Right, yeah. Um, and I'm still nobody. Like, and I don't want people to think I think much of what I did. Like, I'm thankful for the relationships it brought. But, like, four years of my life, and I still didn't make money. Right. So don't yeah. get in it for money. Um, do it because you love it. And only do it in, in places that you love. Yeah. Like, Rob, I know you love, you know, activism, and, and you love... Um, getting truth out to a listenership. And so you do it authentically. Mm-hmm. You're not trying to, you don't work for somebody and then you're not trying to get their vision out. You're not, you do you. And that has opened up doors for you to partner with people. Um, yeah. And so I just want people to like get in it for authentic reasons. Right. And this is like my, my end all be all if it's, if we're, if we're talking hip hop or we're talking activism, talking anything really. It should be an overflow of who you are you shouldn't be doing it to design who you are. Right. You know what yeah, I mean? Absolutely. So it should come out of you and not be going into you trying to create your identity. Right. Yeah. It's not like lifestyleism or something yeah. that you like wear. It should be who you yeah. make it Don't image it or something. Cool. Right. Because real talk, there's nothing cool about hip hop. Like watch adult rappers. It's a, it's a, it's a, right. You've seen that. that, that. Yeah. There's nothing cool about it. It's another job. So if it's in your soul, do it just like I'm a teacher or mm-hmm. right. You're a writer. Mm-hmm. Like don't do it because it has a perceived coolness. Right. Because there's a dark side to that coolness. We like, uh, you talking about like, a, a, like actors and stuff. Like there's a, there's a lot of unsexy parts to 100%. it. You know, there's a lot of long nights and solitary yeah. moments and a lot of stuff that is, isn't being out in the streets or in front of a camera and yeah. same thing goes for music too there's a lot of lonely moments and just you know a lot of solitary lot of hard things things that you go through alone yeah. you know and it's it, it, that people that you don't see though but you, but you got put in that work right. for the fun part you know yeah. it doesn't make it into the montage you know yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah. the outreach the we pasting never makes it into yeah. the like into the into the into the sexy montage that people have either it's whether it's revolutionary organizing or building I'm sure a following in the music yeah. scene five hours behind the computer because you can't come up because you, your writer's block doesn't right. make it yeah, yeah it doesn't right. show up <laughs> you're yeah. throwing darts yeah. at the wall because you can't come up with anything yeah and it's just like yeah because right it's just like these you know Instagram whether it's the girls or guys who are like buff right like they show you their buff pictures they don't show you when they're sweaty and ugly and in tears from how much it hurts pushing that last rep or whatever. Like, it's unsexy. It's hard work. You want to be swole? Like, get in the gym and lift. Yeah. And sure. if you want to be swole in activism or in, in peacemaking or in, right, like music or in art or in any – if you want to work at Nordstrom, whatever. Like, there are unsexy hard parts. Yeah. Right. Like, it's hard work. If you want to be yeah. great at anything. And I try yeah. to tell my kid that. Like – both my kids like my son wants to be play basketball now and so we've been practicing and he's like he's trying to dribble up and I'm just like babe stand in this one circle and just shoot it ten times 
Right. Just imagine it going in each time. Who cares if you make it or not? Just shoot. Get that muscle memory. Get your body yeah. used to it. The fundamentals. Yeah. So, yeah, it's the same in all this. Start a podcast. That's right. my advice to them. If you want a podcast, start a podcast. Yeah. And something uh, that you brought up, like you're talking like to people saying, like, think 10 years down the line. Where do you, like, you know, for yourself, where do you see yourself in, like, 10 years? Like, um, you know, I know you're still trying to figure out this, the summer, right? But, like, I mean, if you had to just, like, off top be like, yeah. what am I doing? Um, yeah. You know, where would I, you like to see yourself in 10 years? Yeah. So my one-year goal, and, man, I don't know if I should. I'm just going to put it out there or whatever. <laughs> um, my one-year goal is to get published in Rolling Stone magazine. So dope. that's yeah. that's the one year goal, and I'm hoping that opens doors to other things. Right. In an ideal world, my, my idealized ten years down the road, I could write full time. I wouldn't teach anymore. I'd still work with youth, of course. That's just in me. But yeah. um, I might teach them how to write, or you know, do workshops at schools and things like that. But we would own a Sprinter van that's built out like a tiny home, and I would homeschool my kids. Mm-hmm. I would write on the road, write remotely, send it into whoever I'm writing for. Um, my wife and I would homeschool our children and we would let them see the world, you know, um, in a, in a very unique way. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's the idealized version. The very beautiful version that's like that is I would love to buy a home in normal Heights where I live right now and continue working at Garfield. If I don't write full time, I will, I will retire as an educator, hopefully from Garfield as long as pink slips never, never touch me again. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. because that's. A millimeter under the other they're both right. beautiful futures to me yeah. and if I'm doing either one of those in 10 years then it's perfect yeah um, and I'll always write about hip-hop love hip-hop listen to hip-hop push hip-hop um, I just don't know what what it looks like and always mm-hmm. make music too yeah so yeah yeah so um, you have like a catalog of music and you have a whole catalog of writing you know, that goes back years. Mm-hmm. Where the best people can find you and follow you online to both hear your music and see your past writing and, and get any updates, you know, of, of anything that comes up in the future, you know, yeah. and stay in contact with you. Yeah. Um, well, I created a, a landing page through MailChimp, which that's another thing you, you up, upstarts need to, to get, isn't it? MailChimp. But I created a landing page, bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash Nate Witzel. Has everything. Has my music, has my writing um, for all the platforms I've written for, True Magazine, um, for uh, Good Vibe SD, um, anything I've done for Hip Hop Weds, and did all that. Uh, SD Loves Hip Hop, Soul Anchor Collective, everything is Everything's on there? On there? Yeah, so yeah. bit.ly um, slash Nate Witzel. Awesome. Yeah. Is there any uh, any closing comments or anything else you'd like to let our listeners know about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm just so honored to be here with you too, um, Robin Jose. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I am intrigued by and 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 definitely pushed by the work you do. Even though it's different, they're very akin, and uh, so I just feel honored to be on your platform. Um, to share a little bit of my heart, man. Well, well thank you yeah, for thank yeah, you, taking Nate. the time to come thank talk you, to yeah, us. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time to sit down and talk with us. You know, we wish you the best of luck, and we look forward to having you back on the show. Oh, Hopefully, awesome. very soon. Oh, thank you. Dude, thanks. thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. With that, we out. <laughs> <laughs> This episode of Step Off Radio is recorded at the Justice Center, San Diego, and our music was done by DJ Root. This has been a Step Off Magazine production.